get a chance to be over here Sunday morning because a lot of times I'm with the kids. And, uh, but I do get to be with you here today. And since uh, I'm not with the kids, I still want to take an opportunity to promote the kids. This past weekend was a really, really busy weekend when it comes to kids' ministry within the state. Uh, last week, and I think you might have seen this picture last week, but uh, we had our Kids Fun Fest. If you're not sure what that is, uh, every year the teenagers have done a fine arts. I said Fun Fest. It's Fun Arts. Sorry. Uh, every year our teenagers do fine arts where they get a chance to use the giftings that God has given them. And they do compete a little bit to see if they can go on to the national office. But we as children's ministers within the state thought it's really important to start to train our kids to use their gifts, their abilities, their talents that God has given them in church. Uh, one of the big things is we want to disciple our kids so that they know that they have a part in the body of Christ now. They don't have to wait until they're older. They don't have to wait until they can shave or drive. They don't have to wait until they develop their prayer voice. Uh, God wants to use them now to make a difference in the lives of their family, their friends. And so we had an opportunity for them to do art. Four of our kids did art. One of them also did where they got up on a stage and played guitar, which is huge. How many of us as adults would feel comfortable getting up and performing in front of people? I don't feel comfortable, and this is my job. So really, it's really impressive that these kids were willing to put themselves out there like that. And one of the kids did this fantastic oil painting. See, here's an example of how God has gifted our kids. Uh, not one of these four, but a kid from another church, eight years old, had a painting of a mountain scene that looks like Bob Ross did it. And when we were talking to him, I asked him, I said, you know, have you taken lessons and stuff? He's like, no, I just do it. And his mom's like, like he sits down, and within a half hour, he can come up with a work of art like this. And it was just amazing, because our kids are uniquely, wonderfully made by God. And so that was one of the things. And then, that was Saturday, and then Sunday night was our uh, sectional Pentecost rally. And as part of our Pentecost rally, we also have a kids' Pentecost rally. So we had an opportunity to minister to the kids throughout our section, and they had asked me to speak, and I got the wonderful, wonderful opportunity to build a toilet paper cannon to shoot at the kids. All right? This is one of the perks of doing kids' ministry. You get to, like, make stuff and play with stuff, and it's work. Um, but we made a toilet paper cannon to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, a year ago, if I had done this, I probably would have been arrested for wasting toilet paper. Uh, so it was liberating in so many ways Sunday night to be able to do that. So if you just want to keep praying for the kids of our church, the kids of our district, our section, as God continues to just disciple them, that they find their place in the body and begin to minister now, because God wants to use them. God wants to use them. With all that being said, this morning, I have been given the opportunity, responsibility, to continue our series and talking about, won't you be my neighbor? And um, I have a question for you to think about. What does your name mean? What does your name mean? I looked up my name. My name means fox. All right? But that was only while I was wearing the mask. Once you see the mask off, it's kind of like, ooh. You look more like the animal than the whatever. But, um, but names. You know how challenging it is to name your kids when your wife is a teacher? 
When you're like, oh, let's name him Alex. Oh, no, 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 no. I had an Alex. Mm-mm. Nope. Well, what about, what about Mary? Mm-mm. Nope. Mary. Mary's going to end up in jail someday. Mm-mm. It's challenging. It's challenging because there's a meaning associated with some of those names. And when you're a teacher, sometimes it's not good meaning that's associated with those names. You know, Pastor Jeff, every time he does a baby dedication, he talks about, uh, for the last couple of years he's done this, he's talked about the meaning behind the names that some of the parents have given their kids. And sometimes it's not why you name your kid that. You name your kid that because it's unique. You name your kid that because you like the sound of it. But there are usually meanings behind the names. And I wanted to take a moment this morning to look at the meaning of some of the names that we have in the Bible. Oh, by the way. I'm talking about changing the narrative. All right, moving on. All right. So some of the names and the meanings from the Bible. Lo Ruhama. You know what that means? Not loved. Can you imagine if your parent named you? Not loved. Isn't my daughter not loved? Come here, not loved. You have lo and me, which means not my people. Mm-mm, he is not from me. Mm-mm. Aiken, which means trouble. Come here, trouble. Is that what Derek means? <laughs> Amos, meaning burden. Look at my beautiful son. Isn't he a burden? Azuba means forsaken. Oh, here comes that forsaken one again. Bethul, God destroys. I have kids that destroy. They walk into a room, it's clean. They walk out of the room 30 seconds later, it's a disaster. Buzz, not Buzz Lightyear. Contempt. Can you imagine naming your child contempt? Hey, let's see your little baby. Oh, here's contempt. Joktan means small. Epiphras means foamy. You named your kid foamy? Uh, and Zilpa means frailty. This is my daughter. She's not going to amount to much because she's frailty. Can you imagine, like, the narrative that is set from the moment these kids are named about what the rest of their life is going to be like? When your name is trouble, it's hard to expect good things to come from you, right? Every time somebody calls you, come here, trouble, come here, trouble, the first thing that you think of is like, why did my parents call me trouble? Is it because they see no hope in me? Sometimes the narrative that goes along with a name sets the direction for your life. We're going to talk today about narrative. Because God wants to change the narrative in the lives of your neighbors. He wants to change the story that's being told about them. And he wants to use you. Let's look at Revelation, chapter 12, verse 10. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, 
Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. I want to talk about that yellow part there where it says, the accuser of our brothers and sisters. You see, the accuser is the enemy of our soul, Satan. And sometimes we think of Satan as, uh, he's just a cute little cartoon figure. But he is a real spiritual being. And him and his minions desire to tell a narrative of who you are and what your life means. There's other names given to the accuser throughout Scripture. The great dragon. The ancient serpent. Referring back to when um, he took the form of the serpent and deceived Eve. The slanderer. In scripture, he's called the Lord of Flies, the tempter, the wicked one. At times called the angel of light. Again, hearkening back to the idea that he presents himself as one way, while on the other hand, being a deceiver and being something else. Many of these names focus around the idea of Satan being deceptive, the accuser, telling lies. You know, he has a name for you. Maybe it's failure. Maybe the name the accuser wants to speak over you is broken. Maybe it's shameful. You're just, you're just shameful. Oh, you know, God loves everybody, but you, you're unlovable. You know what? These things have happened to you. You're disgusting. You're tainted. People don't like you. You're hated. You see, that's the narrative that the enemy wants to speak over your life. It's a narrative of condemnation. Now, here's the thing about condemnation. Condemnation has one goal, and that's to point you to guilt. And to keep you stuck there. Condemnation wants you to feel hopeless. It wants you to feel like the end of your life has already been decided. And it's not positive. Because all you are is a failure. All you are is your sin. All you are is shameful. Condemnation is loud. It's relentless. It says to you again and again and again. This is all you are. This is all you'll ever be. This means there's no hope for you. That's the narrative of the accuser over your life. Now let me just draw kind of a line here. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction is good. In fact, if at times in your life you don't feel conviction... I wonder how closely you're listening to the voice of Jesus. Because conviction points us back to Christ. Conviction points you back to seeking forgiveness from the one who can forgive all your sins. Conviction brings us to a point of change. Conviction actually leads to hope. Even though having, you know, God's thumb, his finger on something in our lives that's wrong and it feels uncomfortable, but it points us to hope because when we bring that thing to Jesus, that means it can be forgiven, changed, and we can be redeemed. 
Conviction brings peace. When you're constantly hiding from God and trying to live your life in a, in, a, in a dual standard, like at church I'm here and at home I'm this person, there's no peace in that. It's a lot of work. It's tiring. It's exhausting. Conviction, when we hear the voice of God speaking to our lives about things that he wants to change, there's peace that comes along with that. How many of you today have struggled with the narrative that the enemy wants to speak over you? Maybe you've struggled with feeling like all I am is a failure. All I am is what has been done to me. All I am is hopeless. All I am is something that I never want anybody to know. I'll be honest, there are times in my life I have struggled at listening to the narrative that the accuser wants to tell over me. There have been times where I've believed things about myself that do not come from Scripture. See, there's two narratives today I want you to be aware of. There's the narrative of the accuser. But then there's also the narrative of Scripture. You see, Scripture tells a different story over your life. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We said the voice of the accuser is loud and relentless. He constantly bombards us with our failures. Even when you've succeeded over here, he wants to point out, yeah, but here's where you failed. Scripture is different. Scripture says, listen, there's a different story. And that story is one that is bathed with the forgiveness, grace, and blood of Jesus. And that story is a story where there is no condemnation for you because I have rescued you and saved you. Revelation 12, 11. We read the first half about the accuser. Now listen to how the believers overcome the accusations of the accuser. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They didn't love their lives so much to shrink from death. But that yellow part is where I want to focus. The blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony enabled them to overcome the accuser. We're going to reflect on those two things, and I know what you're already thinking. What does this have to do with being a neighbor, <laughs> right? Well, I'm going to get there. Just give me a second, okay? Because these things are really, really important. Because your neighbor needs to hear the word of your testimony. So let's talk about the blood of the lamb first. Hebrews 9.12 says, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. All throughout scripture, we read about God's plan to deal with sin. And to be honest, if you really look at it for what it is, it's kind of gory. 
See, God's plan for dealing with sin has always been forgiveness through the shedding of blood. In the Old Testament, we see that forgiveness came through animal sacrifice. The problem with animal sacrifice is that it's only powerful enough to cover sin temporarily. You sin, you bring an animal, a lamb, it's sacrificed, you have forgiveness of sins until the next time you sin. And then you have to go and sacrifice again to cover you temporarily until the next time sin arises. And it becomes this cycle of sacrifice and sin and sacrifice. It wasn't all-encompassing. It wasn't all-sufficient. Actually, the whole point of animal sacrifices in the Old Testament is to point to the greater sacrifice of Jesus in the New Testament. Where the blood of animals was not sufficient. It causes us to look for something that is sufficient. And that's Jesus. We even see it when we come in Exodus to when the Israelites have been in slavery for 400 years. For 400 years they've been mistreated. God raises up Moses to, to, to set them free, to lead them out of slavery. And as part of that, you have the plagues, the flies, the gnats, the frogs. Okay, I don't even like mosquitoes. And that's one or two. I cannot imagine living where flies are everywhere. But the last plague is really important because it, again, once again, points us to Jesus. And in that last plague, there was those, um, the death of the firstborn. And the Israelites were told, listen, I'm going to send this angel. The angel's going to come. Firstborn son is going to die unless you've done these things. And that included a sacrifice of a perfect lamb, the blood taken and painted on the doorpost. That blood saved, rescued, redeemed the Israelites from death. But once again, it wasn't meant to be the whole story. It's meant to point us to the fact that there would be one who would come and redeem us from death, spiritual death. In the New Testament, we see the fullness of all that Scripture is pointing to. You know, a lot of times you hear the Old Testament, oh, Old Testament, that's kind of boring. You don't really need to read it. It's not that important. But the truth is, all of Scripture points us to Jesus. And so if you're not reading your entire Bible, you're missing a good point of what God's trying to make, which is, hey, focus on Jesus. All throughout the Old Testament, you can find Jesus. So if your thing is, well, I just want to read about Jesus, well, then read your entire Bible, because all of the Old Testament is pointing us to this moment where Jesus comes and becomes the sufficient, all-encompassing sacrifice for our sins. The one who is perfect. The one who himself knew no sin now covers all of our sin. See, Scripture has a narrative about you that's different from the accuser's narrative. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. That's the narrative of Scripture. That's the narrative that the accuser wants to drown out. He doesn't want you hearing about how you can be set free from sin and death. 
He wants you to be trapped and stuck in this idea that you have failed and you are not good enough. Now let me throw a little monkey wrench in here. Because the verse says, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Okay, we're all there. And the word of our testimony. Wait a minute. Here's the thing that I want to be clear about. Because this might be a little bit of a monkey wrench that throws us off. Because you might read that and think, oh, okay. So it's Jesus and my testimony that saves me. No. It's not Jesus and anything. It's Jesus. It's not Jesus or you can go this path. No. It's Jesus. See, the whole point of Jesus being all-sufficient is that he's all-sufficient. So it's not Jesus and you do good works. It's not Jesus and you be smart enough. It's not even Jesus and you come to church. You should be coming to church because that's something that pleases God and it helps you to grow. But it's Jesus and Jesus alone that saves you. So where does this idea of testimony come in? Well, the idea of testimony comes in because it helps us overcome the accusations of the accuser, the narrative that the accuser wants to say about your life. A testimony, by definition, means a firsthand authentication of a fact. You're saying, this is what happened. This is fact. Because I saw it, I experienced it, I know this. We overcome the accuser of the brethren by recognizing, affirming the fact of what Jesus has done in our lives. Pastor Jamal often says it like this. He says we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. One of the reasons why your pastors keep telling you you need to be reading scripture is because you need to keep it fresh in your mind, the work that Jesus has done that has redeemed you. Because if not, it's very easy to let all these other voices tell us who we are. It's easy to let other voices tell us who we should be. But when we're reading about Scripture and the narrative that the gospel has for our lives, about who you are in truth, it changes us. Our testimony that this is talking about in Revelation is a retelling of the story of our lives through the framework of the gospel. It's our life, our experiences, our feelings, all of that falling into the context of what Jesus has done. Sometimes we only think about Jesus as far as it brings us salvation and eternity in heaven. I'm saved. And you think that's the only part Jesus really plays. Like that's the end goal. The end goal is eternal life in heaven. But actually, Jesus has a bigger impact on our daily lives. The gospel is all about not just what will happen, but what is happening in our lives today. And so we need to look at our lives and we need to see it through the frame of what Jesus has done and what he is currently doing in our lives and what will be. For example, I have sinned. The narrative of the enemy would be, 
you're right, you have sinned, you're a failure. The narrative of the gospel is Christ has dealt with sin. I've experienced shame. This thing has been done to me that has tainted me. This thing has been done to me, or I have done, and I can't ever let anybody know. The narrative of the gospel is Christ has taken your shame. I'm grieving. I hurt. No one can understand. Well, guess what? Christ grieves and he comforts. I'm lonely. Christ walks before us and with us closer than any brother. I'm afraid Christ is our refuge here and now. I'm broken, but Jesus has healed. Paul spends the vast majority of his time in the New Testament writing his notes, saying this is how the gospel affects how you live now. He wrote to a young church who didn't know how to live. They're like, yeah, but these are the things we did, and that's what we're going to do now. And Paul writes and says, no, 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 no. This is how you live now because of what Christ has done. This is who you are because of what Christ has done. All right, now let's come to the neighbor part. Pastor Jeff has preached about crossing the road, right? Crossing the street. Not just waving at your neighbor from across the street, but going over there and getting involved in your neighbor's life. Talking to them. Building a relationship with them. But I have news for you. People are messy. I have news for you. You're messy. I'm messy. We're one giant mess. Relationships are not easy. There are people who are experiencing pain and hurt. There are people who feel overwhelmed, who feel like they're facing difficult circumstances that they don't even know how to navigate. There are people who are weird. It's probably you. It's probably me. I'm a lot of work for my neighbors. But there are things that God has done in your life that your neighbors need to know. You see, we are all messes. The difference is Jesus is working in us, and we need to share that word of our testimony with our neighbors. I'm sure many of you have felt grief, have felt loss. Many of you have struggled with depression, with illness. Some of you have struggled with fear, stress, anxiety. Your neighbors need to know how Jesus has worked in that thing in your life because they need to know that there is hope for them when they face the same thing. See, there's going to come a day when you've crossed the street or maybe for us in our backyard, it's a fence. And it's seriously like three steps off of our back door and three steps off of our neighbor's door. So every time I go out to go to work, they're there. I think they like perpetually are working in their yard. Meanwhile, perpetually avoiding my yard. But as soon as I step out, they're there. And there's going to come a day when they're like, I'm having a bad day because this is happening in my life. 
And they need in that moment to hear the testimony of what God has done, is doing, and can do. The only narrative your neighbors are probably hearing is a false narrative from the accuser. There's no hope. You're stuck. The best you can do is just get through this. You're alone. No one understands. Just accept the pain. Your neighbor needs to hear the gospel narrative. Now listen, we may not always know the right thing to say. I have been taking counseling classes now for a while, and there is time when people come up to me and I'm like, I have no idea what to say to you. Because the reality is, sometimes we just don't know what to say. Like, things are way beyond our ability to understand, way beyond our experiences. Sometimes you're not going to have the perfect theological thing to say. Sometimes you're not going to have a cute little uh, anecdote that you can share with somebody. Sometimes we're going to feel overwhelmed. But most people don't care how theologically smart you are. When they're hurting, you knowing like deep theological terms means nothing to people. You want to know what means stuff to people? When they understand that there's hope that can get them through a situation. One day your neighbor's going to say to me, my husband just left me. My son just died. They're foreclosing on my house. You don't have to have a super duper spiritual answer. You know what the most spiritual thing you can say is, listen, I'm sorry. I went through a loss. Jesus really helped me. Can I pray with you? They don't need a three-point sermon. They need to know that something real matters. You see, God wants to tell his story through your life. He wants to change the narrative for your neighbors. And he wants to use you. I mean, isn't that the whole point of where God has placed you in your neighborhood? is so that you can be a light. I mean, we pray in the bulletin all the time about different towns that are represented by the people attending our church. And we say, hey, we're praying for Brick this week. Hey, we're praying for, praying for Jackson. You know why? Because God has placed you in that town to be a light. And it doesn't have to be complicated. All it has to be is a chance for you sharing what Jesus has done in your life. But, but, there's a, there, there's, there's a condition here. You can't share a testimony you don't have. You need to, you, for yourself, be having a thriving relationship with Jesus. I want to help people. I'm sure you want to help people. You know how you help people? By you yourself being strong in the Lord. People don't need human answers. They need God answers. And the way you have a God answer is you experience that answer for yourself. I guarantee your neighbors know what you do and don't believe. 
They may not know what you profess to believe, but they know what you really believe. Because I guarantee your neighbors know your comings and goings. Your neighbors may have a pretty good idea when you fight, because they can probably hear it sometimes. Your neighbors know where you turn to when you need help. I'll give you a silly little example. I said our neighbors are real close behind us. Sally. Sally is a wonderful person. She knows everything that's going on in the neighborhood. You want to know who's on vacation? Sally knows. We, shortly after we moved in, started having problems with our furnace. It would work, and then it wouldn't work, and we'd have to reset it. And then they came to fix it, and it didn't work, so they'd have to come again and fix it. So one day, I was on my way out the door, and Sally was like, what's going on with your furnace? You know she bought that furnace only 10 years ago. And then after they put it in, they had to come and take out the oil tank. When they took out the oil tank, they had to dig out and move the air conditioner. And then they had to hook the air conditioner back up. So she didn't have heat in for a while. So what's going on with your furnace? You see, she knows what's going on. <laughs> so your words better be backed up by the way you're living. See, the world doesn't need platitudes doesn't need an outward image the world needs to know the gospel most people don't care how much bible you know how much greek words you can pronounce they want to know can god make a difference in their lives and they're watching you to see does god make a difference in your life They don't need a Christian cliche. All things work out for the good. Well, tell that to my broken heart. What they need to know is the one who works it out for the good. Not little simple little things that we throw out there because it's easier for us. They need to know depth that can only come from relationship with Jesus. And we can only share that depth if we have it ourselves. They need to know that the gospel narrative is different than the world's. The gospel gives hope, gives comfort, it gives life. So, I'm about to give you some homework. Bonnie, can you come up and just set the mood a little bit? Because you're definitely telling your neighbors a testimony of who you are and what you believe. And so your homework is to go home and think about your life in terms of the gospel. What has Jesus done in your life? What difference has he made? Where has he come through when you've needed him? Where was he your fortress, your rock? I want you to think about that. And if you need to, write it out. Write out, hey, this is who I was. And I don't want you to get stuck on the who I was part or what I struggled with. Because sometimes our whole testimony is about ourselves. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this is who I was. But then Jesus intervened. And this is what he did. 
Because there's going to come a day when your neighbor leans over the fence and says, I'm having a bad day, a rough day. And you need to know, what are you going to say? What has Jesus done in your life that you can share with them? So I give you this homework, not just as a trite thing to say, but, but spend time really thinking about it, preparing yourself. Because scripture says to be ready in and out of season, for to give an answer for the hope that you have. Think about it. Prepare yourself. Or maybe this. Maybe you've heard what I've said about Jesus rewriting the narrative of your life. And you're like, I'm not sure I have a testimony. Because all I know is shame. I don't understand what you mean about how Jesus can rewrite that. Because all I know is how I've failed. All I know is what's been done to me. All I know is what I've done to others. I invite you today to know that the Jesus that we're talking about that wants to give you a different narrative. You failed, but I'm sufficient. You hurt, but I'm the healer. You suffer, but I suffered so you don't have to. Can you just close your eyes, bow your heads for a moment? If you've never encountered Jesus in the way that I was talking about, it's not complicated. It's not a magic prayer that you got to say. It's actually a relationship. And if you start pursuing a relationship with him, simply by just saying, Jesus, I need you. He can come and encounter you and you can encounter him and he can begin to tell a different story about your life and about who you are. If you would like to experience that new story told about you, that encounter with Jesus, all you gotta do is cry out to him right now. Or maybe you're one of the ones who... You're not sure what your neighbors would say your testimony is. Now's an opportunity for you to say, Jesus, I want to be a light. I want to be that story that you're telling through my life to my neighbors. Help me. Help me to live by your narrative. Or maybe you've already been talking to your neighbors. And today can be an opportunity to say, okay, God, use me more. We're just going to pray. And if that's one of you, just, just cry out in any of those areas because God hears. Father God, thank you for this opportunity of diving into your word. God, as we've just been talking about being a good neighbor, and today we talk about what narrative are we living by and what narrative are we telling our neighbors. I pray that for those who have never experienced you, that today they would cry out to you and that they would encounter you and that you'd begin to tell them a different story of who they are because now you've come into their life. 
Father, I pray for those who are speaking to their neighbors, Father God, and aren't sure what to say. I pray that even as they sit down and think about their story, think about their testimony, that, Father God, you would use them, put those words together, anoint them, Father God, to be a light to their neighbors. And, Father God, for those who have already been speaking to their neighbors, I pray that the seed that has been planted, God, your word says some plant, others water, and it's you who gives the increase. So, God, may we plant and may we water, but, God, I pray that you would give the increase to those around us. Thank you for your word. And God, thank you that no matter what this world says we are, that you have a completely different story of who we are through Jesus. Pray that you would protect us. Be with Pastor Jeff as he travels home probably today. Be with um, Pastor Matt as he comes home probably tomorrow. Father God, be with Grace Chica as today she's just getting married. I pray that it would be a wonderful moment, God, where they just not only are they bound to each other, but they're bound to you in their, in their marriage, Father. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name.